Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. Dreamers and me. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered when wished on the morning star? Somebody thought of that, and someone believed it. Look what it's done. Okay, so this is uh, Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, my guest today, and I didn't double-check, make sure I get this right in advance, Julia Wirtz. Yes. All right. Um, from lovely Brooklyn, uh, your books are... <laughs> lovely. Lovely Brooklyn. That's, That's a way to sugarcoat it. Well, I don't know. It's uh, stinky, putrid... How's that? A little garbagey. A little yeah. garbagey. Um, the streets that are paved with hipsters with skinny jeans and string bandanas. Oh, okay. I'm proposing a moratorium on any hipster talk for this whole interview. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> the first rule has been set. Um, 
where do I go from there? So your two books, uh, Fart Party 1 and 2 from uh, Wonderful Atomic Books out of uh, yeah. Baltimore, one of the few mm-hmm. shining lights in that city of depravity for anyone that's watched The Wire. And I saw you from Three Rivers Press, one of those New York publisher type things. Yeah. Fancy times. How are you doing, Julia? I'm doing okay. I uh, was just dealing with the cable guy who says that my basement doesn't exist and therefore I don't exist and I can't get wireless internet. That's not very fair. Yeah, I know. I feel that's a little prejudice for people who choose to live in basements. That, you, but, know, you know, we're talking about marginalized. There you go. You're marginalized uh, within your own home. Yeah. What can you do? What can you do? Um, Let's start out, I guess, um, what got you into comics? Uh, I got into comics in my early 20s. Um, I was in college, and I had just been diagnosed with systemic lupus, which is a really shitty autoimmune disease, and I was in bed a lot, and I rented some comics from the library, thinking that, like, they'd be easy to read. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was in for at all, and I instantly fell in love. I had no idea that, like, the graphic novel medium existed. And um, as soon as I realized that it did, I just kind of knew that that's something I, was, I wanted to do or to pursue. So, um, you know. No, it's, <laughs> odd, it, it's odd to use the term graphic novel because I, I don't even like the term so much. But your work, it doesn't strike me as necessarily based on that kind of aesthetic. No, it, and it's probably not. Um, it's, like, I consider the work I do to be, be straight-up comics, um, not yeah. really graphic novels. But the books I had rented were definitely more graphic novel Like, it was some Will Spender and Julie Doucet books, um, which would fall into that, you know, that title. Uh, I, I, you know, being the person I am, I ended up just making comic comics. But, you know... You all label these stuff. It doesn't really work. Your phone keeps cutting up. Can you stand near a window or something? Oh, I mean, I'm gonna have to go outside. <laughs> Sorry, it's just uh, getting a little gets a little garbledy yeah. here and there. Hang on, let me go. Let me sneak into the backyard. There we go. Okay, is that better? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, it's so fucking hot out here. I'm sorry. Hopefully you, you brought it. Me do. <laughs> the the terrible things that the ink studs make you do. Hopefully you brought a cold drink with you. I, I did actually, but um, if my mom is listening, it's just water. There we go. Um, so Julie Doucet, Will Eisner, fine folks get into. Um, but you didn't want to just, like straight jump into doing comics, did you? Or was that kind of? Um, actually, I did pretty much overnight. Uh, I've been, you know, I always like fancied myself a bit of a writer, but I couldn't really, I can't control when I write, I just kind of ramble on and on, um, and I wasn't really ever that good at drawing, but once I figured out that I could put the two together, it just sort of instantly made sense, and I made this comic for my friend on her birthday, and as soon as I finished that comic, seven pages, like I knew that that's what I wanted to do, because it just worked out so much better than anything else I'd tried. I guess it, for, it helps slow you down, right? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the, that. The, the comic process, it helps slow you down? Because you're saying yeah. you ramble too much? 
Yeah, it's like a self-editor. Like, I can't edit my own thing, but I can, if I'm forced to put it into boxes, I, then I can edit it really easily, and it's kind of, it's pretty much effortless at that point. Um, so no, I'm curious, control. I'm curious what your education background is. Uh, well, I have a BA in something like cultural studies. It's such bullshit that I don't even remember actually what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, seriously, like, college is ridiculous. I just chose the easiest thing that I could sit in the back of the class and draw comics through. And uh, I guess it was that. If that's what it is, I don't <laughs> So <laughs> I you were know. you were doing comics before going to school or while going to school is when you started? While going to school. I think I was in my junior year of college. That's the third year, right? Yes. <laughs> we don't use these terms up in Canada. Um, well, you guys took beaver tails, apparently. Yeah. Maybe I was lying about that. No. Oh, I don't want that to be a lie. You, you know, I wonder, I wonder what beaver tails would taste like. Probably not very good. Probably be a lot of cartilage. So, no, I don't know. This is a gross thing. Yeah, it'd be like massive ribs, maybe. I don't know. So when did you start uh, d doing your mini-comics? Uh, I published a mini-comic in, I think, late 2006. Um, I know that I had mini-comics for the first time at, at 8, but that might be 2006. I don't know. I'm not good with dates, but um, it's a horrible mini-comic. I hope that one out there actually has it. <laughs> Was it a fart party? Was it a fart party? Yeah, was it a fart party comic, or was it something different? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't, the first comics I was making, I didn't end up publishing until my last, the volume two collection, because it was about a, a hobo spider that's on a journey for figuring out who he is, and I, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Five of the spider? Yeah. Something like that? <laughs> Who's gonna 
Traveling is really important to you. I seem to get that idea going through your comics. Uh, it's not so important as much as I I do it by default a lot. Um, like you know, there's really annoying people who are like super into traveling and they go places and have their minds expanded, and it's really obnoxious and annoying. Yeah, like, I'm definitely not one of those people. I travel, and that's that's not what I was saying. Just yeah, no, I'm just yeah. Yeah setting the stage for kind of people I don't like. Um, but I travel a lot for conventions, and because my stepmom is a stewardess, so I get to fly for free. Um, I don't know, I get cabin fevery, so I you know, travel around a little bit. I guess the, the first time I traveled was, you know, besides like going to Mexico and Canada, which every little kid does, but I, my mom let me actually fly to Guadalajara when I was 16 by myself to meet up with a friend to go backpacking. And Ooh, that's actually the kind of horrible story that I was talking about earlier. But, I mean, as soon as I, I realized that I could travel by myself is when I realized that I kind of wanted to do it all the time. So That must have been an odd experience at that yeah, age. It was, yeah, it was definitely weird. And I got to skip school, too. Um, and I think it was just because like, my parents had gotten divorced recently, so they were like, oh, we can't control the kids. They're going to do whatever they want to do. And so apparently my reaction was to fly to go. And um, it was fun, though. Like, we, you know, just backpacked around and stayed in weird little cabiny things and pretended to be grown-ups. I don't, I don't know what to do in Mexico. Now... I drink a lot. <laughs> like every 16-year-old should. Yes. How long ago was this after your uh, escape from indoctrination? Are we talking about religion or parents? Religion. Um, pretty that kind of coincided with it. Uh, I was doing some missionary work in like Tijuana around that time when I was sixteen, and I'm embarrassed to 
religion lasted that long for me, but uh, when I was in Tijuana, I kind of realized that it was ridiculous to spend money and time trying to convert people who are Catholic to Christianity. That's <laughs> insane. That's, it's like one of the most insane things a human can do. And uh, so I, <laughs> that was around the time when I was like, I think this might be bullshit. Your God, you, the way you worship God just isn't the right way compared to the way that I worship God. Which is? I don't know. That's that's basically what it sounds like to me. The whole yeah trying to miss. Well, I um, when I was growing up, my dad was actually a reverend, so I got like really just hit with that Christianity stick super hard, and it's a difficult thing to break out of. But once you do, it's like this is the real world. You know? Makes everything makes more sense when you lose religion. I would presume as much. I, I've somehow managed to avoid any kind of religious upbringing my whole life, and I'm kind of thankful for that. Not a slight on those that are involved in religion, just not my thing. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I've never like knocked people who are religious because some of the best people I've ever met are religious people. It's just uh, completely illogical. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know, years of skepticism, and you know, I just see no use in in faith, but, you know, I'll blame that on my... Education. <laughs> uh, you see no use in education? <laughs> no, education <laughs> is how people realize yeah. <laughs> that religion is silly. Now, you are a pretty voracious reader, from what I understand. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously not just comics. How did that develop for you? Um, I guess that's another upbringing thing. My parents were, or my mom mostly, was really into reading. And, uh, like, the most exciting time of the year for me growing up was when we got to go to the library book sale. And, like, that was, like, going to Disneyland for me. And I guess, um, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't mean I read good stuff. I read a lot of crap. But I think once you, when you're raised on reading books as a sort of escape mechanism is something you always fall back onto. So, uh, blame my mom. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, let's just jump right into the into the party. It's kind of funny because it's, it's like a sad, ongoing, self-exposing dialogue um, kind of with a veneer of a gag strip. Mm -hmm. Is that a good description? That's a perfect description. How do do you find like what's the what are you getting out of the, doing this trip? I guess. Um, what am I getting out of it? Ugh. Is it kind of Maybe a cathartic sort of release? Like cathartic, yeah. It's, um, I I don't know. It's a way to process. Things, it's it's much easier to view your life when it's on paper and right in front of you and you can kind of figure out why like why you did things a certain way like I feel like I kind of go through my life not really knowing why I'm doing what I'm doing at that exact moment but if I can reflect on it a little bit later then it's easy to figure out which is you know this leads to embarrassment because it's kind of like a public diary which really ugh, <laughs> you know that never leads to anything good but um it, it, no, it's just it's easy. It's still like therapy for me. Is it kind of going back to the influence of Julie Doucet? 
Yeah, definitely. Like, I realize you can put all these gross, disgusting things in the comics, and no one's really going to judge you for it, because it's just comics. Is there a jackhammer in the background? Do you hear this? Uh, faintly. Not disturbingly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I apologize. This is what happens in New York. That's okay. I've, the one time I was there, I, uh... I think we stayed, I can't remember where we stayed, like West Village or something. It was just insane, the amount of noise. It's like, I love it! It's New York! <laughs> I feel like every time my mom calls me when I'm in Manhattan, there's always a siren going off in the background, like as if it was set up perfectly for some sort of sitcom situation. Cue the... It's true, it happens. It's, it's New York. It's uh, you, you can't have that many people in that small of area without disasters. Oh, that's what makes it fun. There we go. Um, Now, you started out in San Francisco. Yes. And... So I didn't grow up in San Francisco, but I spent about five years there. And that's where you really got first, I guess, in touch with comic book folks and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to school at SF State, actually, when I got into it. How did you... um, kind of after you started doing minis and started getting to know other people doing minis did it kind of give you a new way of looking at how you did your own comics um yes and no I have um I think when I look back at my work then and my work now I feel like every time I like sat down to work on a piece that I felt was influenced by other people it doesn't turn out as good it feels less honest but the pieces I sit down to work on and I, when I disregard everything I've ever seen or learned, then it feels it's more of an honest comic. So, I don't know. You mean like I if you... give or take. Yeah. Um, Laura Park seems to be one that's a big uh, boost for you. Yeah. Well, Laura's more of a... Uh, I don't know, I've... I try not to adopt her style, but it's so addictive. The way she writes and the way she draws, it's kind of impossible not to. And I think a lot of people probably have that issue with her. Because, um, like, I don't know, she's kind of a genius. And when you're reading stuff like that, it's impossible not to let that reflect in your own work. I will concur. Her stuff is pretty brilliant, and I love seeing more of it. Um Within your own artistic, I guess, uh, development, um, which it, it's quite interesting going through the two volumes. Like, how much time is there between the early stuff in the first book and the end of the second book? It's pretty much verbatim as to the time, the timeline in the book. I mean, I an event will happen, and then I'll draw it that evening, and it goes right into the book, and there's no editing whatsoever, which... Uh, I don't know. You can. It really reflects on the artwork when you're looking through it. You can tell what I rushed through and what I, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. And um, the, you know, the next book definitely has more thought to it. But the first two volumes are much more immediate. Mm-hmm. Well, it's. Um, are you kind of with time getting more developing a longer narrative within it, or is it because it's so just? yourself it's just following that yeah well with the first two it's it's um, probably more honest because it's completely me at that point mm-hmm. but the next one I'm working on is I'm trying to develop a narrative too it's very structured um, and I guess a bit more reflective as opposed to the first volumes where it's 
Like, I, I didn't put any effort into analyzing what I was doing. It was just like, you know, here, 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 and this is a joke, and the end. But um, I think I'm done doing that because it's a little bit... It's, you know, how long can you play that out? Not yeah. very long. It gets annoying. Well, I mean, some people do it forever. Yeah, I don't know if I want to be stuck in that washing machine of forever doing the same thing. Cyclical comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at this point, do you so you find yourself uh, holding back maybe a little of the amount of uh, that you you tell? Oh, I hold back a lot, actually, especially with the first two. Um, the third one that's coming out next year is more of a tell-all kind of thing because during the first two, I didn't talk a lot of those. Um, Maybe I shouldn't say it on the radio. There was a lot of family things and personal things that were going on that just were really horrible, and mm -hmm. I didn't talk about them at all. And so I was withholding maybe like you know seventy five percent of the information well, that were going on. Well, I think I think that kind of stuff it's important to hold back, kind of for yourself. Yeah, and when you need time to reflect on these things, I mean, a lot of it was dealing with a family member who was. Um, in rehab at the time, and you don't want to make comics about that as it's happening. You know, you want to see how it plays out. Yeah. So. And to me, there's also that degree of just how much do you want to let go of yourself to readers and, like, yeah. y having a certain level of privacy, I think it's very important. Um, you hear that, Joe Matt? <laughs> David Lasky. Hey, David Lasky stuff isn't very. I love David. Didn't he have all the stuff where he was like blocking out the boners? Is that him? B blocking out the what? The erections in the comics. Oh, that was David Heatley. Oh, that was okay. I always get the the two names mixed up. Yeah, yeah, David Lasky's like the opposite. Um, that the whole situation with David Heatley's weird because he's like gone into psychotherapy for sexual addiction. Because yeah, of that comic strip, yeah. and it's, yeah, I, I, I won't comment. Um, it's just odd. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's one thing about like internet and books, though, is you can reveal a lot in books. I feel, and not as much on the internet because the internet's super creepy. Do you? F I, I guess, like, maybe it's just splitting hairs, but, like, the difference between doing stuff, because you post everything online, and then you do mini-comics, um, is that something that came up later, later, just as a way of just getting your comics out there while you're doing it? Yeah, um, well, I started online only because I didn't know what else to do with it. Like, um, I, I don't consider a fire party a webcomic at all. I just think it's, you know comics on the internet here and there and I would post most of them uh, most every one I would do I would post online but now I make maybe about ooh, 15 to 20 pages of comics a week and I only post one or two for our party 15 so to 20 a week? A yeah I work really fast that's and, insane and I know well it's not colored you know and it's not cross hatch. it's pretty much just straight up ink you know lines and, um, I I draw really fast, so it's easy to do. But I don't post 
there's so much material that I don't post online, and I'm saving them for books because they're just it's information I don't want people to have access to commenting on, basically. Yeah. Well, I guess, and yeah, that's the difference there is what you put out there is specifically made, like, how the audience interacts is differently in what is in paper and what is in web, for lack of a better term. Um, and, and it's interesting, because you're talking about how people comment and stuff, and it's, like, people get, like, a form of self-righteous authority or ownership over someone else's stuff. Yeah, well, people, I know they tend to think that they know a lot more. In regards to like my life and what I put online, they think they know a lot more than they do. And um, and then you get situations where, like, recently I had to go to the ER and I got like I knew people were going to try and like Google diagnose me online, which it was just would be really really annoying. So you have to and say creepy. Like, Please don't do this. Yeah, because you know everyone thinks they have an answer and everyone thinks that they can fix you or that they actually know what's wrong and she's like this is why the internet is a horrible place <laughs> to exist um part of the reason I guess opposed to that is not is it so other folks that may be going through something similar yeah I guess there's like well, there's a, a humanistic side of anyone who wants to you know, connect with other people and just be like oh we all go through the same thing even though I sort of hate people but there's a very base part of me that definitely wants to, you know, have that connection, but it often ends up backfiring, so, I don't know. You have a lot of hate. I don't really, though. Um, that's another thing that comes across in the comics. I had someone IM me the other day and tell me that they thought I was as charming as colon cancer, and that was weird, but uh, people tend to think I'm a lot more angry and hateful than I actually am. I just express things that annoy me to a degree that's a little bit ridiculous. Like the babies? Yeah, I'm not fond of babies. It's okay. No. That's okay. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's not a popular subject among cartoonists, for the most part. Yeah, I've noticed that. A lot of people like to hate on babies, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because they haven't had them. I assume if I ever have one, I'll instantly change my mind because... You know, it's not like a concrete kind of hate. It's just a right now sort of hate. They just kind of bug you. Yeah. Crying and pooping and whatnot. I could go off the deep end. I could kill all my best friends. I could follow those stylish trends. And God knows I could make amends. But I've got an angry heart filled with cancers and poppy tarts. If this is how you folks make art, it's fucking depressing And it's sad to know that we are not alone And it's sad to know there's no honest way out I'm afraid to leave the house I'm as timid as a mouse 
Now, your other thing um, that kind of came and went, um, the I saw you. Tell me a little bit about that um, book. Uh, that, that was... It was an idea for an anthology I had that I didn't think would turn into an actual book, and then when it did, I ended up hating it, like, more than anything. (laughs) Why, but why were you so frustrated with it? Um, Probably because of the concept of it. Like, I'm not a romantic person at all, and to have to deal with um, a concept that was sort of like a hopeless romantic kind of thing, which is really frustrating and felt like it was wasting my time. And that's not to say anything bad about the work that's in there. Like a lot of cartoonists had good pieces, mm-hmm. but the overall concept was just, it's not me. It doesn't represent anything that I feel or believe. And so to have to wallow in it for so long was <laughs> extraordinarily frustrating. So... Well, I mean, that's why I hate that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of as an editor, you you can kind of play with that too, and not have all you know. Try and focus on strips that take the piss out of it, I guess. Yeah, no, there's definitely ones that I accepted because they were creepy and weird, which I thought were funny. But it's just, I guess, as an editor, I realized I would have to spend I spend so much time on other people's work, and that's not something I'm interested in doing. So it was a lesson learned. And what kind of aspect? Well, when I was editing it, it it takes a lot more than just accepting someone's piece. You know, you have to size it and, you know, fix their typos and no one can follow rules. So I was just spending all day editing other people's work. And then I wouldn't draw any of my own comics. And, like, since I do autobiographical comics, if life is passing by and I'm not making comics about it, I'm losing material. So it just kind of drove me crazy to work on other people's material. So this was kind of like a concept gone awry? Yes. I mean, I'm glad it happened because I, I learned a lot about it. I actually learned a lot about the publishing industry, too, working on it. And I think it's good to make a mistake on something that is not your own work before you jump into doing your own work in that industry. Yeah. So, so I'm grateful for it on that aspect. <laughs> You may have been horrible. <laughs> well, I guess like part of it is if you did it, say like as a small press thing, where you did a mini comic of a bunch of people's stuff, that wouldn't be as daunting as having yeah, to like take on. Yeah, I think I would have liked it. Yeah, if it had been then. But once you get involved in big presses, like there's legal stuff, and then there's lawyers, and then there's conference calls, and I'm like, I don't understand any of this. Conference and calls and like, comics. Exactly. It's like this is not. I don't believe in any of this shit. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there on the phone with the, like the publisher and their legal department, and it's like, I just, you know, would rather deal with people like Atomic Books, where it's just Ben and Rachel, and I call them and we talk about the wire, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so much better. And and they're I mean, uh, they handle John Waters' mail. Yeah. Exactly. Come on. That's so much cooler. Yeah. How did you get connected with those fine folks at Atomic? They actually emailed me on Flickr, I think, the first time they, they wanted to publish a book. And because I don't check Flickr or Facebook mail, it, I think a few days went by, and then I finally checked it, and it was a message from them saying that they wanted to publish a, a collection, which was nice because I had been rejected a lot um, previously to that. I just hadn't considered sending anything to them. I wouldn't even but, think uh, of them as a publisher. Yeah. Like, well, I, know, I know they, uh, as a store... 
they're fantastic. Like my friend Robin Bougie, I think they buy the most cinema sewers out of anyone. <laughs> they do. They love that shit. Yeah. So it's like you know, it's good reputation, and but yeah. Yeah, they do. They only do. Um, well, they've only done my book and Emily Flake's books, and then China Mathers has a, a zine that they collected and published. So it's really only the three of us who have been published by them. So you can't, you know, no one really would consider them to send submissions to. But they're they're like really great small press. Like they they you know actually engage and try as much as they can, and I, I think they do a great job. Well, maybe that's that's why it's good. Like I guess uh, an example, something like that would be like uh, Randy with Bodega, where it's yeah. you know one guy that only does like three comics a year or something and it's all it's all really good stuff so yeah there's definitely more selective so and they feel like real people as opposed to when I you know their editors it's just a little more clinical yeah I know I uh, as uh, from from this end of the the table I way prefer dealing with small press folks and I gotta say I love the fact I got when I got the the second fart party book in the mail. It was gift wrapped like a Christmas present. Yeah, you said that in the email. I wasn't sure if you actually meant like Christmas paper wrapping. It, well, it wasn't Christmas paper, but it was like it was like a birthday present. Like I've never gotten that. Like See, that's that's adorable. If you ordered it from like a big publisher, just come in one of those crappy boxes from Amazon. Pretty much. The the only other people that do something close to that is Fanographics carefully wraps all the books in brown paper and tapes it into the box so nothing happens to it. But Oh, that's adorable. But still, like it was like this silver or grayish um wrapping paper, so it was wonderful. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, with like with atomic books, the first forty people who ordered books we had handmade mix CDs that I had made sent out with the orders. And I sort of tried to set something up like that as the bigger published books, but they just they could not wrap their minds around that concept, so it was dropped, which is, you know, it's silly. It's fun to get nice little extra. What kind of music do you enjoy? Um, I know I'm a huge sucker for really sappy music like Cat Power, uh, but I don't know. Music to cry to. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> which is a little bit embarrassing, but I mean... I don't know, not really. Yeah. So, where does the the future of Fart Party take us? <sighs> well, the next book is all about my moving to New York, and then I work on that book during the day, and at night I'm working on a bunch of childhood memoir stories. So I think it's going to go like it'll peak at nine, uh, 2009, and then it'll go back to like 1982. And, dredge through all those years. What kind of childhood stuff are you looking at? Um, well, I was pretty much working on years uh, 6 through 20 when I left home, or 18. Um, and it's just sort of stories of my childhood. I had a very strange childhood. It was kind of magical. And, um, and then it really turned out to be horrible. And it's sort of like an American childhood kind of story and I'm telling it through the concept of work like you know when you're a little kid you give yourself jobs like selling rocks and golf balls and things and mm-hmm. you think you're actually you know, doing something legitimate and so it's, it's told the story um, I tell all the stories of my childhood and teenage years through the eyes of 
being someone in the working force, like waitressing or house cleaning and that kind of stuff. So, I don't know if that makes, it doesn't probably make a lot of sense when I tell it like that, but... <laughs> are you, but you're not doing any stuff like that anymore, are you? Uh, waitressing? Yeah. No, um, I'm fortunate enough to, I can, I'm actually a full-time cartoonist now, but it's not as fancy as it sounds, it's very much like living on, I mean, like, welfare wages for a year or so, you know, you don't know how long it can last, but, um, it's, it's nice not to wait tables anymore, that was a horrible existence. <laughs> how did that affect your productivity, as far as your comics? Uh, well, I make a lot more now. Like, I wouldn't be making the 15 to 20 pages a week when I was working. Because, you know, you're, when you're working, you're exhausted all the time anyways. Um, it definitely reflects in the material, though. There's not as much there. I draw more from, uh, like, from, you know, thoughts that I have or ideas that I have over the day. And much less from, like, I went to the market and something crazy happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I understand that, like, that was complaint that people have. They're like, oh, it's not as entertaining anymore. It's not as... You know, crazy, but um, as, when you're living it, it feels so much better to not have that crazy being happening constantly. So See, that's kind of a complaint that I'm like, yeah, I understand that, but fuck it, it's so much better. Well, I have a difficult time with that kind of complaint because it's like, I'm sorry, your life just isn't interesting to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, and it's like people want me to be waiting tables and to be miserable just so they can laugh at stuff, like, and I get. People get, seem to get really angry and call me, like, a sellout or, like, oh, it's not as fun because, you know, you know you're actually doing what you want to do with your life. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense at all. So, so that's a complaint I do not listen to whatsoever. So how do you, you're saying you chop up your day. How do you do structure a cartooning day for those that are, you know, kind of curious and want to structure their work days? Um, I'm actually, um, I follow a pretty strict schedule only by default. Um, I usually wake up around 8, 7 or 8, and then I spend an hour reading the news and eating breakfast, and then I draw for maybe uh, 4 hours, and then I eat lunch, and then I Photoshop edit because I make a lot of mistakes. And then, I don't know, the evenings and sometimes I go to readings or sometimes I just watch really crappy shows on Netflix but uh, that's about it you know it's it's pretty simple structured day it's almost like a 9 to 5 except you just never have to put on pants alright yeah <sighs> if only I didn't have to leave my house um nice. now y- you do a fair amount of readings yourself right yeah, I've been doing some short story readings around Brooklyn, and uh, it's nice because you don't have to deal with PowerPoint or any kind of crap like that where things can go really wrong. So You just do overheads? Yeah, you know, print out the story, and then I read it. Because um, when I saw you at Stumptown doing a reading, I, I found it interesting because I hearing the voice kind of go with the comics, I kind of got it looked at it in a different context. Oh, did it ruin it for you? No, it actually Im- improved it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've, after I did one of those readings, someone left a comment where they were like, I thought you would sound like a trucker with a, you know, throat cancer or something. Well, that's um, the thing is I, I heard the emotion in it, like you're talking about something. It's just like 
you know, it, it made it more vibrant and alive to me. Oh, yeah, because I'm people. I have yeah. feelings. And it was the same with, uh, I think Austin English was doing something that, that same one, and it's, like, interesting because hearing him read his comics, too, because his comics are so off the wall. Well, his comics are really poetic. So yeah. So you read it, it puts a rhythm to it that you might not actually think through in your mind. Yeah, exactly. So kind of hearing how he pays his stuff and so I, I, I think you know it's not something we do up in Vancouver but I do think it's interesting to see cartoonists read their comics and how that goes yeah yeah I know I understand how it can put a, a different angle on it I'm just always afraid I'm going to ruin the comic for people by like sounding like a lady <laughs> well that's funny you know it's like uh, you talk about audience expectations and I think people just need to read comics for what they are don't go and yeah, like expect and, oh. It's a lot of comics are done facetiously, and people read them as super serious, and and they don't understand that like you're kind of putting a funny angle on something, so it's not you know exactly how it played out. But it's like folks that get disappointed when Pete Bag doesn't wear a grunge type shirt and have long straggly <laughs> hair. Yeah, exactly. Because you know you're supposed to look like a cartoon all the time. Exactly. <laughs> now what I'm curious, you're. You mentioned somewhere being related to George McGovern. Yes. He is my great uncle. That's crazy. I know. And he's kind of the most awesome person ever because he, you know, like wanted to, uh, you know, stop the war and legalize marijuana and make all these things that would have made everything better happen. And that's why he was very hated. Yeah. But, um, yeah, now he has, uh, I can't remember the name of the program, but they're leading in uh, stopping world hunger. They're like the leading organization for it and he's really old now too but he's still involved in all of this stuff he's kind of amazing do you have any f- like have you spent any time with him growing up at all or no no I definitely relatives yeah I yeah. live vicariously too it's one of those things too where I'm like when I was a teenager I really wanted to hang out with him just because I was really into Hunter Thompson <laughs> and they used to pal around a lot and then you know as I grew up and read more about his politics I I got into it more as a person, but, um, no, it's definitely one of those things where I just like to use it as, like, a, I'm cool, I'm related to someone cool kind of thing, but no, we yeah. don't have a relationship. It's like in my family, I'm related to Millard Fillmore. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <it's> a, <laughs> something to pull out at parties, I guess. Yeah. Hey, yours is a lot better than mine, I would have yeah. to say. Except, well, now, like, in this current day, he's not that well known, so if I, sometimes I'll say that and, like, you know, there's just silence, or, you know, last time I was, um, I was at the liquor store, and they asked for my ID, and, uh, the clerk and I got talking about last names, and I had, I brought that up, and, uh, the, because my blood last name would be McGovern if my grandparents hadn't gotten, um, divorced, but the, this drunk next to me, like, comes up, and he grabs my hand, and he's like, I just wanted to let you know that your uncle was a great, great man, and then I was, like, locked in this horrible, awkward, physical confrontation with this man who, like, loves George McGovern. I was like, great, so I can't use this for young, cool people at parties, but I can use it for old drunks at the liquor store. All right! Yeah. <laughs> I love going it's to the so liquor store. My favorite is going to the liquor store first thing in the morning, and it's like this celebratory, uh, you know, yay, it's open! Everyone's laughing and jovial and going picking up their ciders and their cheap beer. Yeah, last time I was at one in the morning, this guy was trying to pay with all pennies, 
and he got like really enraged that the clerk thought it was weird that he was paying with all pennies and and I, this story goes nowhere except that I was at a liquor store in the morning and now I'm feeling guilty about it. Hey, I just said I was at a liquor <laughs> store in the morning. It's okay. Yeah. It happens. Now, what's your favorite drink of choice? Um, honestly, probably wine, which is not what I write about in comics a lot. But um, That's funny. I guess if I'm yeah, out and about, it's Maker's Mark. Which is a bourbon, right? Oh. Yes, it's whiskey. Whiskey. And it's the only whiskey in America where they're legally allowed to drop the E in the spelling. I guess they had to go through some, like, huge legal process to be able to spell it that way because it's Scottish to spell it without an E. Really? I yeah, have no idea. Yeah, full of useless information. That's, that, that is an odd one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today, Julia. Take my Take care of me. 